everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to artists from all walks of life to discuss their personal and professional journeys that led them to where they are today. I'm one of your hosts, Graham Waldrop, and writing Shotgun this week is Joseph Bell. Joseph, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Doing well, sir. Doing well. Uh, we had the pleasure to interview Hadi Sufi, CEO of Kimchi Corps. He is the project lead on SOAR, Pillars of Tasneem. SOAR is an open world game that promotes exploration through flight as your character transforms into a dragon to explore the world's vibrant ruins. This game is heavy on mastering this flight mechanic that's incredibly freeing and feels great to use. Hadi and his team at Kimchi have been working on this game since the pandemic and hope to have the game ready for release in 2024. Hadi has been on a hell of a journey, from graduating from school during the pandemic and not knowing what he was going to do to creating his own game and company. You'll hear about how he became a developer and his childhood life, as well as the unique circumstances on how we met. So let's hop right in to clear his mud. So it was really interesting, uh, I think, the way we met. We were both in San Francisco for GDC. Um, and it was really funny, too, Joseph. We were trying to, we were on the on the show floor. We were trying to, um, you know, demo Mudstack to people, right? Demo our desktop app uh, presentation. And you were supposed to bring the monitor, but you weren't, you weren't able to, to uh, <laughs> you weren't able to bring your monitor from Atlanta, right? On, on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. My, my luggage case was too small and I wasn't dealing with it, like buying a carry on the day before. So I was like, ah, probably just won't bring it. And then we'll see what we can do. There's probably a target nearby or something like that. Right. When we get there. And so I was, you know, we were talking about, it. I was like, we have to go to target. We have to go to target to get a, get a monitor. And so Nachi, who's our, uh, one of our co-founders, uh, he and I went to, to target really early in the morning before the, uh, before the, the floor opened, we get to the monitor section and we run right into Haiti, um, <laughs> who happened to be also set up directly across from us. And, uh, what were you doing Haiti at target? Well, we were there for the same reason, um, at that point, it wasn't so much a matter of like, could we, you know, potentially bring a monitor? We were probably too broke to afford the luggage fees. So we just, we thought the same thing. Yeah, it's probably going to be a Target or a Best Buy right down the street from GDC. So as it turned out, there was literally just one block away from the Moscone Center, there's a Target. And, um, that for those of you guys who don't know at GDC play, they, they give you a monitor and it is the dinkiest little thing. <laughs> like it's totally fine if you're doing what these guys were doing, which is just bringing individual clients over and kind of chatting with them and sitting them down for presentation, but we needed to show. So we were looking for like at least a, I think what a 30, 30 some odd inch monitor, like a TV thing at GDC. And there we were at target. I see these other guys, they have the, the GDC lanyards on. So I'm like, well, let me go say hi. They seem to be here for the same reason that we are. Maybe we can bitch about the monitor quality or something. <laughs> yeah. It was, and, it was really funny too. Cause uh, you were buying a bigger monitor and then we mm-hmm. were, we were sort of talking about monitor sizes at that point, which was sort of funny. And then we realized the monitor that you were, you were given initially by, by the folks at GDC was perfect for us. So it was sort of like, Oh, you were very gracious to be like, yeah, you can just have ours. Just go, go see one of the folks at our, at our booth. So that was, that was awesome. We were like, well, we're definitely going to come by and, and play your game and, you know, also tell you more about Mudstack. And, and it was, uh, it was really serendipitous and I love moments like that where you just, you, you know, you meet somebody and then the, the relationship sort of continues. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, th- and that was cool. And, uh, yeah, and it worked out perfectly for us. We were able to use that monitor to, to, to demo, you know, our, uh, our desktop app and, and, uh, you're able to show off uh, soar the game you're working on. I really, well, I really enjoyed playing that, but I just thought that was funny. And then it was like, well, of course we have to have Haiti on the podcast, you know, continue the relationship but um they were so glad you could you could stop by today and, and hang out with us for a little bit 
I'm curious about where it all began, sir. Tell us a little bit about uh, growing up in, in Princeton, New Jersey. Yeah, so Princeton, it's it's a nice it's a nice area. Like I'm I'm not gonna front like, you know, it's it's a lot of suburbs, but it's not that kind of really restrictive way that you think of suburbs. That in in a place like Chicago, for instance, where it's it's very perfect and very precise. You know, it's closer to a town vibe to it. Um, personally, I hated school, but I think it was more just the general principle of the thing than anything really unique to my town. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been much more of a, of a self-motivated guy. And, and I don't mean to say that in the way that like, that just gives me a, a superior edge in all things. It, it gives me an edge when I'm doing my own thing, like with these projects. But when it came to actually like getting good grades at school, it was a real problem because I could not bring myself to, uh, care. Is that the yeah, word that I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit, I think that's something like that. Yeah, I think that's a, a problem a lot and with with kids in in school, especially growing up, is just like especially when you get really hyper focused and really passionate about something that you want to yeah. do and you want to pursue, and then everyone at school is telling you either, you know, one, uh, we're not interested in teaching you anything about that, and and two, here's what we are interested in teaching you about, and then that sort of, you know, doesn't compute, right? With with uh mm-hmm how you're feeling like when, when did you start getting into sort of programming and, and, and games and things like that? Was that, was that early on or did that come a little later? Yeah. So, um, my dad was in software. He, when I was about three or four years old, he committed full time to starting his business. And over the course of my life, he had pretty much transitioned away from software development into like business management. Uh, but that was really, you know, that was definitely where it started for me, where like when, for instance, over the summer I would be doing like, you know, summertime exercises. So I didn't forget everything by the time school started. Um, you know, I'd be at his office with him while he was working and maybe let's say hypothetically, I was having trouble with some geometry Um, I remember one summer he gave me this old programmable TI calculator and he said, well, here's the instruction manual, solve your geometry problems by coding on this TI calculator. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's kind of where it started for me. That's cool. That's really cool. I think, um, like I know for me, for instance, like my parents really never influenced the things I'm into. So I think that that must've been great. Probably brought you guys closer together to be able to bond over, over sort of the the knowledge, the joy of programming. You would think, but my dad, uh, he, I think, had to use up all of his patience at work. And so he didn't really have that much for me as far as the education side. He was happiest when I had my nose buried in the manual and I was figuring it out on my own. What about, what about mom? What, what would she do? She, she is the type of person who wants to learn everything. Mm. So she's very well-educated person. The reason why we were in the Princeton area was because she had actually gotten her PhD there. And after getting her PhD and doing her dissertation, she kind of switched over to being a full-time mom for a few years. And she went back and got her master's at a different university into library studies. And then by the time I was 12 or 13, she had worked her way into a Princeton job at um, a library there for those of y'all listening who might know it's the Firestone Library working on their Middle Eastern manuscripts collection. Uh, so I'm, I'm really proud of my mom. She's really done quite a lot with her education and with her career. And were they supportive of, of you sort of pursuing this, this, uh, this career path? They recognized much earlier than I did what kind of a gamble it is to go into any kind of entertainment industry. They were never like, you should not do that. But at the same time, they, they always felt very hesitant about embracing that. So when I was 16 and I started, you know, looking at universities, I was really, you know, dead set on schools like DigiPen. And my parents were like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> Don't do that. Go to a regular university, get a regular computer science degree. And then if you really still want to do game design and game development, you know, we don't have a problem with that, but like, 
at the very least, you'll have a backup in case you either change your mind or you find the industry doesn't let you break in. How did you feel about that, though? If that was like your and still is your passion where you just sort of like, no, I want to still pursue, go, you know, balls to the wall. Or did you sort of take that in and we're like, OK, that makes sense. It, it took a lot of arguing before mm-hmm. I kind of accepted that. I am very much like I, I have that asshole streak where I don't let things slide and I don't, you know, let things go easily. But eventually they talked me out of it and that was sincere. Like by, by the time we had finished our conversation, I genuinely agreed with them. Mm-hmm. And it was something that, you know, I've pretty much been okay with since then. Uh, and you feel like that, that was probably the right, the right call. You feel more well-rounded having done that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that going to university for computer science does not teach you how to do game development. And there's a lot of kind of core concepts that I had to sort of learn on my own. And it did definitely make me like less well-rounded as I was taking my first steps in that direction. But I think that core of programming concepts, exposure to teachers and, you know, other students, that's really what you need. Like you just need to get get that logic burnt into your brain. And by the time that's in there, you can pretty much go anywhere. Right. So it's important for the foundational aspect of it all, sounds like. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you went you told me you went to UNC Greensboro. What, why UNCG over some other schools that had um, computer programming or somewhere that was closer to home? Yeah, so, well, it, it was close to home. Uh, my parents split when I was probably 15 or 16, and my mom ended up getting a job at UNC Chapel Hill. Okay. So I applied to a couple of North Carolina schools. Uh, UNCG was the only one that let me in. I also applied to a bunch of New Jersey schools since I had in-state tuition at both. So I was like, you know, it's pretty, pretty good situation for me. And the reason why I ended up going to UNCG as opposed to uh, Rutgers was because I was uh, seeing this girl at the time who had gotten into NC State. Uh, on the off chance that you're listening, hey, Sammy, hope you're doing well. <laughs> uh, we haven't spoken. Oh, God in like seven years, I think. Yeah. Like we broke up that summer before either of us even got to North Carolina. So that oh. was, a, that was <laughs> not my best call. Not my best call in retrospect. But hey, it sounds like it, it worked out. I, I really like the uh, North Carolina area. I went to school actually in Winston-Salem at School of the Arts mm-hmm. in North Carolina and uh, for film. And we used a ton of actors who were studying at, at UNCG. So I'm, I'm pretty familiar with that, that campus in that area. Um, really, really, really liked it. What was, uh, tell me more about, about that experience going to, going to school. Every year, every month, there was like some intensity. I didn't have like a normal week probably until after I graduated from university. And some of that craziness was good. Some of it was bad. Um, a lot of this, I'm young. A lot of it is still really fresh in my memory. Was that more social craziness or, or? educational craziness social craziness chasing girls hanging out with the wrong crowd like you know getting hurt hiding stuff like that yeah i think it's always interesting when someone uh you know initially goes off to school and is sort of searching you know maybe not for anything specific but they're searching i don't know joseph mm-hmm. you were pretty you're pretty dead set on what you're doing you're you're the most wholesome person in, in america in, in comparison, I think you you were able to just settle right in at, at, at SCAD, but tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, uh, so SCAD's very different than I think your experience was at, at uh, UNCG, but the um, the the way that like my my life is quite different than that. I was like about 12, I was like, okay, I know I'm going to go into one of two things, either into music or into, into something on the like 3D art or digital art end. Um, and yeah, just started to work my way in, uh, from like 15, 16, started doing like modding on the side. And, uh, so when I came in, I had like an art, I had a portfolio already. Uh, and the, the school side is kind of like your, like yours, except that I was able to coast at like a B level. Uh, for the most part. So I, most people that, at least I know that on the, like going into games, you can, 
there's like parts that you can just coast at and then you're, you're not really thinking about school at that point. Uh, and, and that's kind of where I ended up. I probably could have ended up a lot worse if I coasted uh, at a different at a different space right there. But um, but yeah, the the some some of this talks with your parents resonate with me a lot. Um, they they were okay with me going to SCAD, but uh, they wanted to make sure like, hey, if you're going into this, make sure you have avenues outside of that. Like mm-hmm. uh, on the more on the entertainment side, but uh, like don't just focus on games. If you're if you're doing 3D art, you can go into a bunch of different paths. Research those. Figure out what else you can do. Um, and, and having those contingency plans is definitely really big. Uh, on, on your end, the the other crazy thing about SCAD, you have to be self motivated to mm. to like be successful at, at that school. Um, is that something that you kind of felt when uh, when you were at uh, UNCG? In the computer science department, yeah, mainly because our program was kind of ass and from what i hear still kind of is the first two semesters at uncg you're basically like you're basically taught how to do java and then after that it's pure conceptual classes until your last semester or your last two semesters at which point you know now you're doing like your senior thesis or you know more practical classes or your internships or whatever so for a lot of students at uncg there's that that middle period where they are just completely lost. They're basically struggling to get C's. I didn't struggle too much because, you know, I had that strong background in programming from, you know, from when I was a kid. Uh, And definitely, yeah, being self-motivated helped a lot. I was working on projects in my spare time, some of them gaming-oriented, some of them just like, oh, you know, I saw this cool thing on the internet. Let me do that. And, you know, that was really nice. So how did you balance sort of the the social social craziness as you call it versus maintaining that self-motivation or did it did the self-motivation go away for a minute and then come back after you sort of recentered yeah it, it would always come and go um balance is not never something that came naturally to me it's it's a skill that i've i've definitely worked very hard to develop over the last couple of years and i still have a lot to learn We'll let you know when we figured it out too. Yeah, exactly. Like I, it's it's a constant battle. I think especially during pandemic times, um, when you know I'm very much a a work from from office kind of person. I, I'm not as big of working from home, but I've you know been working from home, uh, you know since since 2020. So it's it's been a big adjustment period for me to be like, oh man, I have to work where I eat. Uh, which is which is tough, I think, to kind of maintain that focus sometimes. Yeah, I mean, having having that dedicated office space has been has been really great. Um, I I try to like, you know, not spend too much time at my desk. Having a dog has been super helpful. Or I can just get up, take her on a walk for an hour, and I can say to myself, "Yeah, I had to do that, and I would not have done that otherwise." Right, right. Yeah, I think finding those different avenues when you're at home, just to give yourself a, a breather is, is really important and getting outside for the love of God, also very important. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned starting to work on, on things, uh, you know, outside of your, your studies was, was one of those projects, uh, the game you're working on right now, Soar. Yeah. Did it start there? Yeah. Um, so my last semester in undergrad, I was, living in a house with a couple of friends and one evening um we had had our pc set up in the living room as a console so uh my roommate had had a bunch of his friends over and i was playing air memories of old in the living room on the pc and you know i was just you know, kind of vibing out playing the game and, you know, all the guys were there and, you know, kind of they're hanging out with each other, but they were kind of tuning in and out of my gameplay. And, um, there's this nice, like, it was a vibe, you know, it was a vibe. And then I remember, um, you know, I was actually finishing the game that evening. I'd already put in, you know, two or three hours beforehand. It's not very long, the story. And after the game was over, I remember sitting and talking with my roommate and being like, yeah, man, you know, this game is like really good, but also it's kind of really bad. So, 
you know, I have almost a computer science degree. I'm like good at this. I could probably do that. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the guys were like, dude, yeah, you should totally do it. You know, hyping me up. And I was like, okay, bet. Give me like three months. I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> nah, it's been two and a <laughs> half years and we're still not done. I imagine you've probably gone through a, a lot of uh, different prototypes where you started working on it. You're like, okay, this uh, this cannot work. I have to restart again. Or, or going through that multiple times. I remember us doing that for, we had a senior project at at SCAD and some of those early prototypes. I know you can remember those, Graham, oh, yeah. where we were like constantly rewriting our, uh, our movement engine or... Uh, were we going to have XP in our game or how many weapons and then like constantly resetting everything that we were doing yeah, for like so combat many. mechanics and stuff like that. Yeah, I think one of the great things about your your game is that uh, it feels, and maybe it wasn't always like this, but it feels sort of properly scoped in terms of the yeah. amount of things you have going on in, in the game. Like for, for us, when that senior project, it was like, we're going to have five levels. It's an RPG of like, 15 different animated characters. Uh, you know, it was just a nightmare. And they had all these different things happening in the levels. It was, it was ridiculous. But yeah, yeah, take us through sort of the, the early days of Soar. Yeah, so as I mentioned, that was during my kind of last semester at UNCG. I had to take an extra one. So I didn't really have the kind of crew that I would usually sort of reach out to for side projects like this. So, um, you know, it was definitely like a spare time thing. Just go up in my room, do a little bit of work here, a little bit of work there. Tons of revisions, tons of starting over from scratch. Developing that kind of core flight mechanic took, to get it where it is today, probably a year, year and a half. Uh, I went through like five or six major revisions over that time. It was, yeah, really, really time consuming. So... After I graduated, I decided that I did not want to go into programming right away. I was still dealing with fallout from, uh, from a relationship that, to be blunt, was, was abusive. And I was not ready to live in a normal way. So what I did was I applied to a cruise. I decided I was going to work on a cruise ship, just running dishes and see if I could, like, navigate my way through that space and, you know, make some money and just kind of live. Um, I ended up getting into Norwegian cruises, which would have had me circling Hawaii for six months at a time, which I was like, okay, yeah, sick. This is exactly what I need. Uh, So I completed the application process. Then I got the job and I was, I had filled out all my paperwork and I was just waiting for my deployment when a little something you might have heard of called uh, coronavirus decided to fuck up my life. And so the cruise ship was closed down. I was completely stuck. I had no money. I had no job prospects because I had not bothered to do any internships at university. Uh, So I was like, all right, I guess I am just going to stay with my mom for a while. And because I had so much spare time, I spent a lot more time on the game. Uh, You mentioned scope was a big thing. Yeah, scoping out SOAR has been incredibly important to me. I've, I've worked on a lot of very ambitious projects with a lot of very ambitious people over my life. Uh, For me, the key is just getting off the, getting off the horse when I'm done. Uh, I learned a lot about what too much ambition and too much uh, scope could be over that time. I figured out relatively quickly what my skills and interests were as far as the game. So after that, it was just a matter of like, you know, sort of intuitively extracting the game from my brain and sort of figuring out what it wanted to be. And since I was just stuck at home, I was like, okay, yeah, I have time for this. And I, and I took it. Was that, was that immediately like, I'm just going to pursue this game? Or was it more of like, you sort of take your licks for a second and, and, and think about what you're going to do? Yeah, it, it, it always felt really natural to me to be doing it. You know, I would spend a couple of hours running job applications and I would go do shopping or I would make dinner or something. 
and then I'd be like, okay, well, I have a few spare minutes. It's still during the work day, so all my friends are busy right now. Let me run that back. Yeah, I think that's that's also a big thing. Like if something feels natural, something feels right, especially creatively, and then keep pursuing that. I mean, yeah, there's just so many times I think you know you can get bogged down and wanting to do something creative, but it's like you can almost force it sometimes because you feel like you should be working on it as opposed to actually wanting to work on it. So it sounds like with with this, it was like, yes, I want to I want to work on this. I want to pursue this. Yeah. You told me something interesting when we talked uh, uh, over email before we did this, where you had a, a recruiter tell you that there was no chance in hell you were going to get hired. <laughs> was that mostly yeah. due to the pandemic or was it a lack of portfolio stuff. You mentioned you didn't intern or where did that come from? Yeah, no, that was definitely the pandemic. I mean, so after the Norwegian cruise thing fell through, this would have been like March. Yeah, it would have been March of that year. I was applying everywhere on Monster and Indeed and, you know, manually submitting applications as well. I was getting no bites. Half the companies that I applied to didn't even bother sending me rejection letters. So, you know, when I got that, that hit from the recruiter, they were like, oh, hey, you know, we're, we're here, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to match people with jobs, like, you know, why don't you tell me a little bit about your situation? I was like, yeah, you know, I'm a fresh computer science grad, I'm just looking for, like, internships. They're like, yeah, no, there's no internships right now. Right. Everybody's, everybody's closing their doors. The one hit that I got... I cannot remember the name of this company or else I would call them out. They, they gave me a job, but the twist was that I had a $75,000 contract that I would have to work off for three years. Oh, Jesus. And if I wanted to quit, I would have to pay off that entire thing. Jeez. They Feels like to a... me out to the middle of Wyoming yeah. in oh, the wintertime. Yeah. So I was like, hell no, never, never take those. You guys know that. It, never take that. That That's worse than than working at Walmart. It's borderline indentured servitude. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, you, you know, weren't getting bites and you weren't, you know, and the recruiter says what, what they said, that motivates you? Did that depress you? How'd you, how'd you deal with that? I wasn't surprised to hear that. You yeah. know, I keep up with the news. I was on Reddit a lot at that point and you know Reddit has always been a bit of a uh, a hopeless space and the pandemic definitely did not help that and so uh, you know it was something that I was kind of prepared for so I was just like I'm gonna just keep doing what I'm doing um, and then after a certain point I was like okay maybe computer science just isn't for me so right. I decided to go back to school for biology. I ended up doing that for the next couple of years until actually this past, yeah, this past fall semester. So I did an internship at a lab at UNCG. Um, it was a microbiology lab. And I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is really cool. But the more that I learn about the sciences and the more that I learn about climate change and the more that I learn about everything, it did not feel like the kind of space that was right for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I dropped out and um, I decided that I would just focus on, you know, pursuing game design and game development as a career full time. I mean, I think you have a really good, just from this conversation, just a, a pretty incredible intuition about what what works for you and what doesn't. It sounded like, yeah, that was, you just needed to get out of that and focus on what you're you're passionate about, but you're working on, on SOAR, you continue to work on it alone. When did you start bringing in other, other developers and, and how did that sort of evolve into what you guys are, are doing now? So yeah, this will kind of tie back to what I mentioned earlier about my dad and, and being happiest when I was just sort of you know doing my own thing. Uh, I was visiting him uh, during the pandemic up in New Jersey and um, you know, obviously I was jobless at that point. So I was like, you know, just kind of working on the game full time, visiting family, you know, stuff like that. And I'm talking to him about this project and I'm like, 
yeah, you know, I'm kind of starting to hit these roadblocks where, you know, um, I'm fine on a technical level, but on a creative level, like if I want to take this game any further, I need assets, I need resources. And after a couple of weeks of that, he's like, okay, why don't you just hire somebody? And I was like, where? And he's like, I don't know, online. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> so uh, I reached out, I went on r slash game dev classifieds, which so far has helped me consistently find the best people. Um, most of my team is made up of freelancers off of our game dev classifieds and um you know they've done really amazing work and so the first person that i hired was a character artist and the second person that i hired was an environment artist and between the two of them i made a quick little quick little prototype i learned how to talk with artists i learned how to how, how the kind of process of you know production and cross-disciplinary communication works and then at that point i was like okay you know let me let me push this farther and um i borrowed some money from my dad in exchange for uh, a percentage of the profits on the game and then i've just been going since then that's cool it's 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 a lot like uh sounds a lot like the calculator story in a way but just on a bigger scale in yeah. a sense, like it's like go figure it out. I'll uh, you know I'll give you the tools to do it, and you're you're doing it. That's awesome. So is is he uh, continuing to to help you out there in terms of, of of paying folks, or how has that expanded? Um, I had to get an extension on that loan once, but then I was able to land a job in industry, so I've been paying it myself since then. Cool. And how how big? How many people are working on the game now? About ten. 10. Uh, on average, 10. The number fluctuates. Like, you know, sometimes you need more people for a specific task and sometimes you need less people and so on and so forth. So tell me tell me about the evolution of the flight mechanic. That's I feel like that's the core of the game. You know, uh, we know it's an open world game. You can transform into a dragon, fly around. But the flight mechanic, I think, is so critical to the game because I know you mentioned when, when I was playing it that it is, you know, open world. It does have a narrative, but you can also just sort of fly around um and the, and the flight mechanic just feel it's, it's just super buttery smooth we'll leave um, a link in the show description if anyone wants to, to try it out off the the sword website but tell me how that developed in the, the 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 process and iteration around that mechanic yeah so i had tried to develop some kind of glider mechanic it's something that i've been interested in for a very long time uh, I mean, we're talking like well over 10 years at this point. One of the earliest games that I tried to make had a flight mechanic in it. Um, but at that, I was 14. I didn't even know what a tick was. So I was not able to. Then uh, I'd worked on another dragon-based game that was more of a 2D Metroidvania. And I had tried to do like some kind of, you know, flight mechanic. So I, I had some background on that. So the very first thing that I tried was, okay, let me take the angle of the player and based on the angle of the player, I'll set the speed of the player. So steep angle, high speed, shallow angle, low speed. And I was like, okay, this sucks. The problem was when you do that, right? You go here, 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 here. Okay, great. You're going fast. You're feeling good. And then as soon as you turn up, it stops. There's no smoothness. There's no transition. I tried a lot of different things until I learned about a tool that is probably very obvious to anyone who actually works in industry, which is interpolation. Yep. I was like, whoa, this interpolation is sick. I can do interpolation <laughs> on everything. So the first thing that I did was after I got interpolation working, uh, and so now you have a little bit of a, whoosh, whoosh, you know, it's not physics. It's not physics, but it's something. First thing I did was apply interpolation to everything, which terrible move, terrible <laughs> move. It is not needed. It is not needed on everything. Well, that's probably good to do uh, just so you can get the the knowledge base as to what it can, what it can and cannot do, what what it works mm -hmm. for and what it doesn't. Definitely, definitely, and you know, interpolation in Unreal Engine is um, 
actually, it, it turned out to be a really good tool for teaching me some of the kind of core concepts of game development, notably the, the game loop. You know, there's, there's some nuances there and there's some subtleties there that are not obvious when you're approaching it from a more traditional computer science background. So I found that kind of learning, you know, vector interpolation, rotator interpolation, just plain old float interpolation was really good um, as far as teaching me like how some of that background stuff worked. So from there, the next step was uh, kind of learning how to architect my code properly. And there were a lot of revisions involved in that process, a lot of smaller stuff. Um, I remember the kind of core sort of that that um, player angle to speed. I ended up reworking that a lot. At one point, I dove into Desmos, and I did. I whipped up a graph in there that would get me the shape that I wanted. Um, and that was probably yeah. That's the third take. And you know, from there, it was really just playing with. Uh, playing with the interpolation values and the mass values and stuff to get everything working. Now that you've, you've sort of defined how that, how the flight works, it's like, did anyone from the team, when you started working with others sort of come in and, and, and help smooth that out or add anything, any other elements to, to the flight to, to get it as satisfying as it feels today? Um, no, not really. Uh, I, I tried to talk to them about stuff like that and I would share it with my friends a lot and get their feedback. But mostly what I was looking to do was kind of tune the game feel. There's an apocryphal story in game development that I'm sure you guys know, which is that uh, when the guys were developing Super Mario 64, they had Mario running around in a Blake room and they ran around with him for months and months and months. And that's all they did for months until they got him feeling so good that it was fun to run around in a gray void. So I was like, let me do that. And that strategy really worked for Sora. It, it, it really worked. I didn't start bringing a contractor on board until I had kind of finalized that, um, that fake glide with the you know, Desmos graph and all that stuff that I told you about. It reminds me a lot of Eugene from our end. Eugene was able to like, he could, uh, for the locomotion, uh, locomotion stuff in our, in our project. Yeah. He's, he was like, yeah, it's just this vector thing. It's just two lines of code. And we're like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way over my head. Too. Did that, was that ever, uh, um, a moment where you wanted to make the flight feel a little more arcadey or was it always trying to have a sort of more realistic feel? Mm, you know, people have asked me about kind of arcadey flight, but the reality is I've never actually played any arcade style flight games. I've come to think of it. I haven't either. Maybe except Star Fox. Oh, oh yeah. Where you're kind of like moving through that sort of linear sequence, but you're sort of right. dodging and stuff like that. There's those, and then if you're going more into like full flight, kind of like a rogue squadron or uh, things like that, have have more of a um, on. It, it feels kind of on rails. It gives the player a lot of control on it mm-hmm. um, compared to like dealing with lift and drag and all that other stuff. So um, yeah, the the way the way that your game feels, it has it has kind of like a, a nice mix of both uh, where. Where you have the, uh, you feel like the mass of the of of the flight, but it allows you to still control it with um, with a decent amount of precision. There's some there's some specific spots. I think uh, I was playing in your game where you had to go to like a, a stone door, and it was like mm-hmm. in the side of a cliff. And yep. uh, yeah, trying to do that with a, with a sim, you're not gonna have a good time with that. But <laughs> the, the way that you have the way that you had the flight set up. Uh, and some of the controls around like the the hover and uh, being able to kind of like slow up a little bit uh, as as you're kind of gliding in, you can uh, really fine tune like the height that you want to get in and things like that. So it's uh, it's pretty straightforward. To, like it, I missed a few times the first time I tried it, but the uh, <laughs> third time was the charm there. <laughs> that particular moment gives everybody trouble. I mean, it, it took me a while before I got it feeling right. I guess, I guess I'm kind of understanding what you were asking better now, Graham. I think to answer your question, it was always going to be what it is mm-hmm. um, because this is, this is how air essentially plays where you're not flying a plane, you are a flying animal. And a flying animal has, has a very different feel to it, obviously, than a plane does, but also a flying animal has different goals. A flying animal wants to navigate 
a complex 3D environment with a great deal of obstacles and a flying animal sometimes wants to land and needs to be able to land safely and sometimes it needs to take off really quickly like that to get away from predators. Uh, whereas a plane is, you know, really concerned about going really, really fast and being able to make, you know, do combat and dodge things and, you know, landing may not necessarily be as high as a priority. Was the character flipping mechanic, was that something that was early on or is that something that was added a little later? Yes, the character flipping. So that was because one of the guys on the team was like, you know, the human can't really do shit in the air. Why don't you make him be able to do something? And I was like, what should we make him do? What can we do that would not break the flow of swapping in and out of dragon form? And like, you know, what what would kind of not make it so that the human and the dragon form have way too much overlap? So, you know, I had recently played a little bit of Spider-Man on a friend's PlayStation. I was like, well, what if we just made him do tricks? So... Uh, we had a couple of animators get in there and, you know, just whip up some fun little aerial tricks. And then initially, we at one point had had the boost mechanic where you can kind of press A or space bar to do a little spin and gain some momentum. That was on a, that was on a counter. So you could boost three times, then you'd have to land, regenerate your boosts, and then you could go back and, you know, fly around. And the air tricks were a way of regaining boosts while you're in the air. We ended up dropping that because what we found was that players were here to fly. The more we let players fly, the happier players were. So in the end, we ended up cutting all of the dash limits and just kind of making it fully free. And the air tricks at that point just remained. Iteration is, I think, the most important word in game development. Yeah. Without it, we are lost. So how much is left? How much is left in store? And I saw on the website you're targeting winter 2023. Yeah, so I need to update the website. Uh, it's more realistically, we're currently targeting spring 2024. Uh, as far as what's left, uh, content really content. So right now, if you wanted to 100% the game, you'd you know probably take about two hours to explore every nook and cranny and find all the collectibles and whatnot. What we want is about 15 hours. We have one zone of islands. We want six. We have five characters. We want, you know, probably like 10 or 15 characters. You have, you know, seven or eight collectibles. We want 25, 30 collectibles. We have three quests. We want 20 quests, so on and so forth. Where does that where's that come from though in terms of wanting the game to be longer? Is, is do you think that would do you think the game not being longer would would turn players off or? I'm not sure. That's a really good question. It just feels like the right number to me. Because I think it's interesting too. Because a lot of games, the game that immediately jumped out to me, and I think I mentioned this when I was playing it and uh, we were at GDC, was it feels a lot like um, in, a, in, a, in a really good way. Uh, felt a lot like Flower or Journey. To me, that game company's uh, projects, and those games are pretty short. Um, you know, I think Flower you could finish in probably yeah. an hour and a half, two hours, and then Journey was a little longer. But it's just interesting to me because those are the those are the games I think of when I think of your game. And hearing that you want to pad it out, I mean, I've, and I didn't pad it out, but have more content. It's just sort of like I think there's always this debate about you know how long should a game be, and I don't think there's a right answer to that. I think every game is sort of its own own beast but i am i am interested so you feel intuitively though that 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 is where you want to be 15-ish hours yeah so as i'm thinking about it more there's i'm kind of identifying a couple of reasons that seem to make sense to me number one is that flying feels good and i want to give players a reason to keep flying so like for me obviously my reason to keep flying is because I'm a developer, so I do this all the time, and I still haven't gotten tired of it, which to me is a really good sign. Great sign. As far as regular players, you know, they're not really going to have a reason to fly as much as I have unless I give that to them. So on, a, on, a, on the simplest, most bare-bone level, just having more environments, even empty environments, 
is going to be better for that experience of just you know giving players a reason to fly on another level we are interested in exploring the world more further and you know figuring out like where does everything come from i want to know what's out here i want to know what's inside that cave i want to know what's behind that tree and fleshing out the world kind of gives me an excuse to explore that myself and finally we have uh, a great interest in character writing and spending time with these characters that we've concepted like you you won't see it in the game that we you know that you can download right now very much a lot of the writing that's in the game right now is very prototypical um and not it's not where it is internally we have some really good stuff that we're working on that we're really excited to you know expand and really you know run it to its maximum potential yeah, it's good. I think that that all makes a lot of sense then, because I think, especially talking about the, the flying, wanting to, everybody to feel that more, I think makes total sense. And then it just, I, even though it was very freeing to fly, it was like there needs to be more things to to sort of do, and and the world, I felt like needed to be more populated. So I think I think your your instincts are are right there, and you can create, especially when you're talking about the writing and created a more sort of unique experience. I think that's, that's really important too. So I think that's, I think not that you need my approval or anything, but I think that all totally makes sense and that you have valid reasons for wanting to extend your, your play time because it, it supports the game. It isn't just being done to be like, Oh, we have to make it this length because this is what people expect. It's like, no, this will make a better game. I think that's really important. And, and at least from uh, the, like that initial narrative hook that you have where, where it has this, uh, it, it's like a just recently evacuated, like almost like city, right? Where, where you're hopping between these different places and, and you're, you're, as you're exploring, you're like, how did this get here? Why did this, why is this built this way? Uh, when I, or there, there's another mechanic you had where it was on like a little uh, spire where it like shut off your dragon powers, <laughs> like that type of stuff is, is like, okay. So they had, they, they had some knowledge about, uh, these types of powers before, like how, how they figure that stuff out. It's, there's a lot of different places to explore there that, uh, can definitely flesh out that, that, that time that you're, uh, that you're giving to, to your players and something else that, uh, I, I always really enjoy those types of open world. You, you can kind of figure out what you want to do, um, more sandboxy games. And on my end, it was just trying to fi- uh, fit that dragon through like those small holes as you're flying and, and doing stuff like that. I was doing that all the time. Um, yeah. So e- even incentivizing some of that stuff could, could be uh, to help people get more acquainted with flying or give them a challenge when they're, when they're in the middle of flight too. Yeah. So on our end, we, we know the answers to all of those questions. Um, and, and we we're trying to figure out a way to present that in, in a non-obnoxious way. We know that a lot of indie studios get really invested in their lore and like, you know, so passionate. We want to we want to spend all of our time, you know, just talking about how cool our lore and our world building is. But, you know, that's something that we work hard to hold ourselves back on because we're huge dorks (laughs) and we will bore everyone to tears. Uh, As far as (laughs) the, the little holes and stuff. Yeah, that's something that we really want to mechanically incentivize as well. One of the things that we had at one point was that you would regain a boost by going through those little holes uh which you know great except we don't have boost anymore so we need to figure out you know some other solution we have a couple of ideas that we're kicking around um but yeah i personally really enjoyed doing that as well it was something that i even liked in air and there was no mechanical incentive at all Mm mm-hmm it sounds like y'all are in a really good spot. It's like you have a great foundation and now it's just about building upon that foundation to sort of complete the the house or the temple or whatever you want to call it. So I mean, looking forward to when you guys uh, wrap up development, but it sounds like you still have a lot of, a lot of work to do. No, we feel the same way. It's, it's what we're telling publishers all the time. Like, you know, yes, what you see right now, what you play right now is what you can expect for the final product. And uh, you should, you can use this to judge whether or not you want to work with yeah. us. Has that been, was GDC validating in terms of what, what you've been working on? 
in terms of people coming by and playing it, whether they're publishers or just uh, other developers. Um, has that has that really told you you're going down the the right path here with this project? Yeah, no, it, it was extremely extremely validating um, on almost every level except one. So we were not prepared with advertising and banners and screens and all that stuff. We ended up with a pretty minimalist setup, and we were right next door to this absolutely amazing VR theater application where you it had this box that was like the size of a regular ultra wide monitor and you would look into it and it looked like you were watching a movie on a movie theater screen and they had all this great branding this really interesting hardware and people were at their stand non-stop it was packed every day from open to close and hey don't get me wrong we got a fair amount of attention we got a ton of positive feedback but our stand would be empty and we'd look over and they had a line that was <laughs> packed all the way out across the, across the hall. And that was a little bit, uh, I'm not going to say disheartening, but it was kind of like, dang, we really picked the worst seats in the house. Overall though, it was, it was extremely, extremely validating and extremely helpful. Like we got a ton of great feedback from real developers and real publishers, got a few numbers and I've been working those angles since GDC, but very time consuming process. So what's the, what do you see as the future of, of Kimchi, Kimchi Core, your, your company? Um, I think the ideal future for us is that we get picked up for publishing by a studio. We finish the game and we get paid. That's the most important thing. After that, hey, maybe we make a sequel to Soar. Maybe we work on a different game. Maybe we go our separate ways. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like you got to obviously finish the project first. That's the, that's the big thing. And, uh, yeah, well, it's been, it's been really fun talking to you today. Like this has been a really inspiring story and it's, and it's crazy too. You graduated right, right at the pandemic, right? Like 2020, you're making your own game. You have your own company and that's the dream there, man. I, I love that for you. And, um, cannot wait to see how sore turns out because I mean, we, we really enjoyed it and not just lip service, um, I guess you and you and your team have an extremely bright future. And thank you so much for for coming by today and and, and talking with us. This has been this has been awesome. And thank you for having me. I, I really enjoyed my time and kind of getting to know you guys a little bit better. Uh, best of luck with Mudstack. I think it's a pretty awesome tool, and uh, I, I don't doubt that you know you guys are going to take off as well. That wraps up today's show. We want to thank Hadi again for coming on and spending some time with us and telling us more about Soar. Uh, you can find out more about SOAR at www.pillarsoftasneem.com. Find out more about Mudstack, our company, at mudstack.com. If you like what we're doing, you can join our Discord from our site to interact with team members of Mudstack and members of our community. Thanks, y'all, and we'll see you next time on Clear as Mud. Mm-hmm.